So, uh, you know Henry David Thoreau? I think I've heard of him. He said, uh, it is the marriage of the soul with nature that makes the intellect fruitful and gives birth to imagination. And that, I think, is a good way to introduce this concept for this show. It's a feature of forest bathing. The Shinrin Yoku. You got it! So you've heard of this, Shinrin-yoku. Yeah, I've heard of it because you've talked about it recently, <laughs> and I'm really curious to learn more about what you know yeah, about this. Yeah, man, it's, I mean, this is a thing that's sort of, uh, on the one hand, I, I, a lot of you are going to be listening to this and go, oh, well, no, duh. I mean, some of it just feels so intuitively true, but there's a lot of science that falls into the ballpark of, we've, we all know this in our bones, but then somebody has empirical evidence of it, and you go, aha. Now it feels more true. It was right. Yeah, exactly. So this is a concept that is very ancient. It's been around a long time, but it wasn't until the 1980s uh, that the Japanese started actually giving it a name and uh, studying it. And uh, it's it's this concept, Shinrin-yoku is uh, forest bathing, and it's, it's this sort of concept that um, exposure to a natural area. It doesn't have to be a forest. It's just, that's the wording, but it could be a meadow. It could be the beach. It can be a, a park, a, you know, an open natural space. Um, but they started studying um, the effects on people and found that it increased immunological response. It increased cognitive function. It lowered the production of cortisol, which is, you know, stress hormone uh, brought down pulse, brought down blood pressure, um, increased parasympathetic nerve activity, um, and it, it created this whole arena of study that they call forest medicine. And it's, it's become really since, you know, 2000, uh, it's, the 80s was really when they got started, but uh, in the 2000s, it became a more international thing. Um, there's a, uh, the, the international union of forest research organizations, which I didn't even know was a thing until I <laughs> looked this up. Uh, they created a task force in 2007 on forests and human health with the, uh, with the purpose of combining forestry with healthcare. Cool. Um, yeah. And they're finding all of these, uh, you know, Kaiser Permanente here, um, has right on their homepage for Kaiser health, uh, in any natural setting, a beach, a trail, a meadow, uh, a park, they suggest 20 minutes per day. That's their prescription for uh, general well-being. And um, I know, you know, for me, I mean, I've definitely always found, uh, all I know is I do a lot of backpacking. And when I hit a trail, um, there's invariably this part of the trip during which the ideas just start rolling, you know, the lyrics are coming, you know, and it feels, it's like you hit a stride and it just starts happening. And I've, I've always known that kind of in my bones, but it wasn't until I started 
looking at this research and saying, oh my God, there's, there's all kinds of empirical evidence around this. Um, it brought, a, brought up a really interesting, um, there's a 2013 British Journal of Sports Medicine uh, where they prescribed 25 minutes in a green space to improve cognitive function. Um, and it, it brings about this, uh, this terminology called soft fascination versus hard fascination. Hmm. Um, and I, I kind of love this. And it's, it's this idea that um, things that create hard fascination would be like a baby crying or uh, your alarm in the morning. You know, it's the things that immediately they draw all of your focus and force you to into whatever that activity is, right? Take care of the baby or get up or whatever. Soft fascination is that strange, uh, it's the urgency, but without the all-consuming quality. So if you're looking at the sky when you're on a hike, you can be totally entranced by it. It takes your attention. But it's, it's, so it's fascinating to you in the way that a baby crying or an alarm would be, but it's a soft fascination. Interesting. And the, the results of this is essentially that the experience of soft fascination is hugely helpful to creativity. Uh, there was um, a neuroscientist, David Strayer, and uh, he did a study, uh, I want to say this was in like 2008, I think. Um, where he surveyed all these backpackers. And it's the most interesting study because he created a series of tests to uh, test creativity. And it was things like, um, uh, if I give you a series of words, you give me the overarching concept that blends those words together. Um, and, you know, just a series of different things, you know, spatial, graphic, verbal, uh, and it was for creative thinking. And he would test all of these backpackers, and then they would go out on a four-day backpacking trek. And on day four, he would give them another test that's the same as the test they took before they left. And they all got twice the scores on creativity hmm. that they got before they left. And the statements for most of these backpackers was, I, you know, I don't know why I, I'm not sure why I just, you know, when you give me a series of words, I can find the concept that brings them together much more easily now. Um, so there's more and more evidence of why this has to do with, um, you know, your prefrontal cortex and, uh, stress response and all kinds of things. Uh, another, um, a Danish study at the university of Copenhagen, um, was also on the impact of nature exposure to creativity. And they found that uh, even small amounts, 20 to 30 minutes of sitting in a natural setting, this isn't even being active, just sitting in a natural setting, increased uh, curiosity and directed attention. Uh, and they were testing this on professional creatives in Denmark. So they got a a test pool of people who were filmmakers, painters, poets, and, uh, you know, uh, a clothing designers, things like that. And they would have them, uh, test before and after nature exposure. Yeah. And they all found that their directed attention was greater, uh, and they had more create more curiosity. We've already done a whole episode on curiosity. I'm mm -hmm. sure we'll do more later, but, um, so I just want to kind of 
introduce people to this concept that you can put into your routine um, just a minimal amount, you know, maybe four or five days a week, even if you, if you can't, you can't, don't have to do it every day. But even these small amounts of forest bathing uh, can really be a tremendous boon to your creative juices. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful tool. Yeah. I, th- I think that when you first threw that idea out to me, when we've chatted about it in the past, it is easy, as you started off saying there, to have the natural reaction um, to be, well, yeah, of course. Yeah, you know, I, right. I, I know that getting outside is, you know, is, is good yeah. for me. You can you just know, feel it. In a bunch of ways. Exactly. But like you said, when you start diving into research, you know, it's interesting that, that there are all these studies that back up that gut instinct that you have. And the very little bit of research I did into it myself online was um, digging into that creativity or productivity sides of things as well. Because to me, it's completely without question that it's going to benefit my general well-being sure but yeah you know for the you know in the um on topic for our podcast right. you know, largely being right. about creativity i'm like well how does that exactly yeah you know influence creativity and like you said several of those different things that increase increased attentional capacity and the increased cognitive flexibility you know being able to you know, think in different ways, look at things from different angles. All of those things definitely help your creativity for sure. Just put you in a different headspace. And some things I was finding online about it were that it it largely promotes those things because you give yourself a mind break. We get, as you said, when you get into nature for a while, all of a sudden, you know, you think differently, you have lots of ideas. And I've thought that for ages, just with things like travel in general, anytime you get out of your normal routine, you have this clarity around what is important, what isn't important, the things that you miss, the things you realize you definitely do not miss. And all of these ideas come from it. Um, There's obviously the reduced stress and then improve focus, just like you're saying, looking at some object in nature for a long period of time, just sitting at the park bench or something. And that practice of focus, not unlike other kinds of meditation, is totally going to help our productivity, staying oh, yeah. on task with things, or our creativity, keeping your brain on you know the project that you're working on. Um, so hugely valuable. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you know, we, there's an inevitable crossover that you always run into if you're going to, if you're going to do a show where you're talking about creativity and how to get over blocks, you know, how to get unstuck, uh, which is always what we, that's our touchstone every time. You're always going to start talking about depression. You're going to start talking about, you know, well-being. You're going to start talking about focus, uh, you know, cognition, all of these things that, you know, it's, it's easy to start feeling like some sort of self-help, you know, but, uh, that's just because all of those things have an impact on, you know, it's very hard to, to write your book. It's very hard to sit down and play your guitar. Uh, you know, if you, I mean, it's, I, I get this all the time where, you know, um, there's a, a weird stereotype out there of how, uh, depression and sadness is like that's the every artist must be like carrying this huge bag of of you know self-hate and depression on their back or else they wouldn't be able to make the beautiful music that they make and and my argument has always been at least for me and most of the musicians that i know actually 
Um, it's much easier to make music that comes from anger or joy or lust than it is from depression because it just sucks everything out of you. It just makes you just, you just want to lay down and do nothing, you know, but it's the things that get you energized that make you focus that, you know, they, they put blinders on you a little bit. You can't see anything else mm -hmm. except, and, uh, I think that's a kind of the great thing. It's that, that soft fascination concept. What I love about it is that it's, it's a great phrase or name for the state of simultaneously having blinders on while not having blinders on. So mm. you're, you're looking at a particular thing and you're fascinated by it, but you're not incapable of seeing everything else, you know, yeah. as opposed to hard fascination, which is where you, you sort of tune out everything, but the one thing that's in front of you and, you know, yeah, putting out the fire. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This episode is brought to you by Music Millennium. Music Millennium. 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 Musicmillennium.com. Definitely the go-to place to find all of your favorite music or the music that has yet to become your favorite. Yeah, man. Get to know those people. They have suggestions. Musicmillennium.com. You can order anything on there. You can get uh, t-shirts, music, all kinds of cool stuff. And... Uh, and they're just really good people. You get, it's like you're going to a record store and you don't even have to actually go to a physical record store. Unless you're in Portland, then do go to the record then store. Then do go to the record store. Yeah, um, so if listeners are interested in kind of applying this in some ways in their lives, I've got a list of a few things. Um, definitely just trying to plan some breaks into your day or a couple of times a week. Like you mentioned, it sounds like that 20 to 25 minutes uh, time frame it seems to be often agreed upon as a, a healthy amount to get out and if you're not able to get outside very much even bringing some live greenery into your home and oh, workspace yeah. because nature is nature people you can get out in it or you can bring some of it into you it doesn't mean you don't need to get outside ever yeah. but if surrounding yourself your your spaces with green is always good and along those same lines just finding ways to allow more natural light into your space. Yeah. So it's not all a bunch of light bulbs wherever you're at. Yeah. Open up those windows. Um, another suggestion I found was to take other tasks that you're already doing outside because it's easy to think that I don't have time to get outside because yeah. I've got to take this phone call or yeah. I'm going to spend some time reading right now or whatever, but take that book to a park bench or take a walk while you're on that phone call, just whatever you need to do to, to get outside. And then even just go online and look for local groups. Some people might be a little bit more social and less likely to wander around outside on their own. I know I love wandering solo yeah. different places, but <laughs> it's not for everybody. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, just looking online, I, I typed in Portland forest bathing and there are numbers of groups that do little sessions, meetups that do walks in different places, yeah. you know, that, that are guided or not guided. Um, there, I even found people, Airbnb hosts that will do forest bath walks in the cities where, wow. where they're hosting. So get online, find some resources yeah. for it. Yeah. And even if you, you know, it doesn't matter where you are, you can, if you, you can be in Copenhagen, you, you know, go, go to a park. There's a, there's a reason that every, all over the civilized world, everywhere there's a gathering of people in every city, there are parks. And I mean, it's not on accident. <laughs> Shinrin Yoku. Yeah. So uh, that's a that's an idea for you to um, 
carry forward into the year. And if you get stuck, if you're, you know, you're hitting your head against a wall, try a little forest bath. 